Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. So before we get into today's episode, I really quick wanted to just let uh, uh, introduce the uh, two of our sponsors or people that we work with. So the first one is going to be Grinding Coffee Company. If people do not know at this point, but as we say it every week, uh, Grinding Coffee is an LGBT minority ran uh, coffee company for gamers. Specifically, they partner with gamers to promote brands to promote inclusivity they have been so great for us every charity event that we've done and we're now we've done charity events three months in a row that we have been a part of we actually finished one just yesterday which i will mention briefly uh we they have offered us give out giveaways everything so we just want to thank the grinding coffee company the other one that's new so i I, alex i mean i i know i've told you on twitter but i personally have become a brand ambassador for quiver uh, which is kind of a funny thing to think of. Uh, so I have been hyping quivers for a very long time. It, it takes me back to my high school days of or middle school days of slapping stickers on things. And they're just a great way to carry things around a convention. So if you use Goblin Lore at checkout for them, you will get a 10% discount. And we also get a little bit of commission off of that. So we just wanted to acknowledge that I have become that. And one of the first, roles that i had as an ambassador was really hyping them to bring back the pink quiver and enough people signed up for the wait list that we now have pink quivers coming back out so alex yeah. do you want to talk yes. a little bit about the fireside alliance sure so i'm alex newman found on twitter at mel underscore chronicler uh, my pronouns are he him and uh so the fireside alliance is is a group of content creators um that kind of just decided they have they all had their own little communities on the internet and they decided you know they want to try to build a, a bigger place for people to to come together on the internet a place that can be dark and scary at times and like have a good community a good place for for folks to hang out so like and they, we um, have asked to join the community, and uh, and they graciously allowed us to ex- accepted us, and we are now a part of that. Um, described as a progressive community of progressive communities, uh, we've got a Discord and a website that lists all the different content creators. We're actually the only Magic content creators in the uh, in the group, but there's all sorts of of great sort of nerddom movies and TV and, and, and all sorts of books and things. So there's a lot of a great folks over there at the fireside discord. If, uh, if you're looking for a place to come hang out and chat about nerd stuff. Yeah. And so the other thing, like I said, I wanted to mention was we just finished a two day charity stream for the national abortion federation. So uh, reproductive rights are under attack here in the U S um, I mean, they, they always have been, this isn't something new, but the, the decision that basically overturned Roe versus Wade really kicked it up a notch and, and made things where abortion access needs to be protected as much as it can right now. Um, it was an amazing two days. They actually did. Uh, we didn't just play games. We had a panel of some women in magic. Um, and my wife was a part of that. So she's a, a OBGYN and her, she got to step in and really be kind of a part of that event, which was awesome for her because she doesn't play magic, but she loves the magic community. And, you know, we, we tend to, when we have events in Minnesota and Minneapolis host like a giant cookout at my place. And she remembers every magic player she's met. She just loves interacting with the community, even though it's not a game she plays. And so I just want to say that we were able to raise $6,000 over a two day span uh, with also some uh, auctions that we auctioned off some cards and that was actually matched by a charitable foundation. So 
we'll be sending 12,000 out. And I'm just excited because one of the things that this podcast has really done, and I said this in Kenny of every piece I was involved in yesterday, was this is part of our big mission is Alex and I talk a lot about inclusivity. We talk a lot about social issues and we want to use our platform however we can. And one of those ways is to help put together and organize these events. Uh, I will say doing three in three months was not smart. Um, we we likely will not be doing one for the, the month of August or if so, I am very, I'm going to be very tangentially involved, but we, these will be coming down the road. We will have more coming. So today we have with us a preeminent scholar of Goblin and their ties to the greater good. This is somebody that is long overdue for coming on this show. Somebody that, whose videos really, I, I mean, we, we've talked about uh, it before. So I'm just going to introduce it's Spice 8 Rack and give a warm goblin welcome, which just basically means throw some rocks at it to Spice. And Spice, I will let you introduce yourself. Say whatever you want about your content. Uh, just, just. Take it away. It's yours. Help, help. They kidnapped me. I'm here against my will. No, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for uh, for inviting me on. It has been a long time coming. Long time listener. Um, yes, my name is Spice Hitrack. My uh, pronouns are it and him. Uh, and yeah, I, I love me a goblin. I love me uh, looking at how they get represented in various iterations throughout uh, magic's uh, various different planes. I love the different ways that magic explores goblins, um, as well as generally uh, loving uh, exploring Ludo narrative within Magic the Gathering. Uh, that's what my stuff's all about. I make YouTube videos about it. Um, and I've I've been tasked with introducing this podcast. Normally I'm told that the guest is asked a question, but this time I've been tasked to ask, ask a question to uh, the forum, as it were. And I think the question that I would like to ask we talk a lot about what we love about Goblin, but what are some of the elements or a single element of general Goblin presentation that we think maybe is a bit overplayed at this point? What is a tired Goblin trope? That would be my question uh, to the host and to myself. So do you want to answer first? Do you want to start off because you already have an answer or do you need us to stall while you oh, then no, come I've, I've, I do already have an answer. Um, from, from my perspective, I feel that one of the, and this is something that I've, uh, having looked at a lot of goblins within Magic the Gathering, and I mainly talk about goblins within Magic because generally we don't see a lot of sort of diversity when it comes to goblins outside of, weirdly outside of Wizards of the Coast properties, either D&D or Magic. Um, but I would say the main thing that I think often gets overlooked with goblins is motivation, as in why do they do the things that they do? More often than not, goblins are, you know, little chaos gremlins, which is lovely, and we love, we love our goofy little, goofy little uh, weirdos, we're a big fan of that, but there's oftentimes a lack of material or even ideological reason for why they do their why they get up to the chicanery and shenanigans that they do. And I, uh, I think that's probably, for me, the most tired aspect of Goblin presentation in Magic. More often than not, they just seem to be doing things because they're goblins, as opposed to doing things because goblins want a specific thing to happen. Ooh, I, I really like that. because, uh, And I think this is something that we may come back to. Uh, I have some thoughts. So, Alex, do you want to go next as I continue to stall? <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yes, because that's what I was trying to do while you were talking, and I thought, great. Um, so I think maybe I'll, I'll take a, just a slight step back, and um, since Hobbes is giving me this opportunity to maybe steal one uh, right out of uh, his list. So one of my issues, and it's it's less about exactly how they're portrayed and, and more just about the story thing. Um, we So one of the things we like to do, we're Goblin Lore Podcasts. So we've done like Goblin Profiles. It's, it's a thing that we try to do. We want to talk about Goblin Legends and talk about specific characters. But so many goblins have basically nothing for story. Um, and it's, there are, I, I would say on average, probably more now as opposed to 20 years ago in, in Magic. But it's still a thing where we'll get a bunch of legendary goblins. And then there's like, if we're lucky, a paragraph of story that, you know, applied to maybe one short story that pulled up on the website. And that's that's all we have to go off of. So I, I would really like to see goblin characters goblin legends get more development in the lore <coughs> squee <coughs> yeah, that i was i was specifically leaving that for you there hobbs if you wanted I, to i to do appreciate it. it i lied i actually had um my my answer completely ready to go as spice was talking for this one finally because this is a full topic idea um that that we have had that keeps getting put off uh, for just various reasons it is the trope of uh, the in, in fantasy, but even in D and D and magic until recently, and still has a lot of work to be done. Uh, the representation that is related to Judaism and representation of of goblins in kind of these Jewish stereotypes, uh, the hoarding, the gold, the big noses, kind of the 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 elements that we saw even with. Um, Cranko Kingpin, where he's basically a looter and he's just standing there like with the gold and he's talking about pillaging. And there's a, you know, there was the whole thing with the dockside extortionist. And we were kind of glad to see goblins have jobs, but we then had a representation for that that was supposed to be on Ixalan. And this was something that, you know, there was a lot of discussion about why this was changed. And I will admit, I hadn't looked at the goblins on Ixalan very well. And in thinking of breaches and that, did not know that they were closer to kind of monkeys um, with the hair and stuff. When Dockside was presented, and, and then we then found out should basically be on Ixalan, was a very like a banker-looking extortionist, a kind of thinking the Merchant of Venice style role. Uh, and there's a lot there. And this is something that we've talked about having Adrian on for, for years. Um, and it's just preparing for that article is very difficult because there is a lot, especially for the Jewish community, with goblins that can make them... And Adrian is a good example of this, a Dreamtime Drin, that she has this weird relationship with goblins. So that just has always been my number one. Would love to see how we move on from that. And I think, as Alex said, story is a good way that we can we can do that. Mm. No, I think that's very correct. I mean, looking at the two different prints of Dockside Extortionist from Double Masters, and you've got one which is, you know, pilfering stuff from, uh, you know, obviously hanging hanging down from uh, ropes on a pirate ship, and sort of there's no connotations there. And then you've got, yeah, very much like standing behind a bunch of treasure chests, like quill in hand, all that kind of stuff. It's it's not ideal uh, in any capacity to put it very lightly. Yeah, and, the, and the, I mean, even that is still probably an upgrade from the Forrest Mel art, and I and I don't blame the artist, right? I think the, the original art on it is is what we tend to expect from goblins. I also think there's a reason that that art wasn't reused, and um, and that, and that's that's fine. Like, I mean, I think it's good to take that 
the, that that area and that stance. I mean, one of the things that I, I can say, knowing a little bit of the uh, kind of art world, that even changing them to a different color, like to that more bluish color that we see in um, in the dark side, especially from Ixalan, was a decision made by wizards. Like that was actually something that was asked of by the artist. Oh, that's uh, excellent. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and I think that there's been movement. Um, is it, we, we've, we've discussed kind of some of the more recent goblins that we've gotten, um, you know, even if it's just uh, like the story background filing on Quark and stuff like that, that really does add some whimsy, add some more detail of goblins, takes them in a different direction. We've talked about Ixalan, the idea that goblins have jobs and are part mm-hmm. of the ship and part yeah. of the crew is kind of a cool element. Part of the ship, part of the crew, part of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's where we get our call back to Squee, who somehow didn't make it under the weather light the second time the weather light was around. Oh, Squee was busy, it's fun. I mean, it's <laughs> Yeah. Doing what? Like not dying? I, I think that you know we could give them a little more than that. Uh, I'm already starting to rant, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you okay. are. So I did kind of come up with some small just topics to get us kicking off with, um, and one of them actually is, uh, you know, I, I I kind of mentioned some story pieces that have been. We're already kind of talking a little bit around it, and uh, I want to talk about. Cranko, and I want to talk about kind of the evolution of Cranko. If that's something that you feel comfortable with, yeah, I feel absolutely. I don't. I must admit, I am not as versed as into the ins and outs of Cranko. I know obviously that Cranko and the Shattergang brothers uh, were battling against one another uh, during the events of Return to Ravnica, but I don't actually know what happened to Cranko during War of the Spark because it's it's almost like the whole narrative of that set was pretty ill-conceived and not, not great. So, um, so if we're going to talk about, yeah. This is what we're going to talk about. That is exactly it. So we did an episode about Cranko. Uh, it was our first Goblin Profile. We talked about him as a mob boss. And at that point, we talked to him about, is he the mob boss, kind of like our, our stereotypical gangster, or is he a mob boss like the Joker? Um, but but the whole point was he was a mob boss. Um, he was also a character that was like the only one to, to like basically drew blood off of Gideon. You know, when Jay Anelli was on the show, he he used that as evidence that uh, Cranko is the most powerful being in the multiverse, right? <laughs> He's like, he did something that most people can't do to Gideon. But he had a whole story behind, like, with Feather and kind of this whole thing. And then we get to War of the Spark. And this is where I thought this was a perfect topic for you. Um, because we talk about the direction of War of the Spark a lot. And even if we just want to look at cards and look at where that story was headed, we basically were setting up, in my opinion, for a revolution. Um, yeah, I think there was yeah, a lot of... Pre-War of the Spark. Pre-War of the Spark. Pre-War of the Spark. Because yeah, we're going to ignore that for a second. Just... Yeah, with with the gateless in uh, the return to Ravnica block, there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about the the guilds and but then also the people who are disenfranchised with the guilds, the power structure of the guilds, and the people outside of it who had no power. Yeah, and and Krenko being one of the most prominent, maybe mo, you know, people among the guildless yeah, or outside sort of, of the guild. movement almost within Ravnica. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that it really was setting up for this idea that, you know, we've now had, you know, three blocks of kind of a city state where the guilds rule and think we're seeing how it was breaking down, right? Like we're mm-hmm. seeing kind of the breakdown of it. It looked like we were headed for that. And then just planeswalkers just drop in out of nowhere and we're fighting Nicol Bolas and the whole narrative was, was lost. So my fanfic has always been that, that Krenko was well positioned to lead the kind of the revolution to really 
rise up against. And I know this is why I brought you on. This was the only reason was to make you talk about rising up against, uh, uh, you know, an unjust oppressed system. But they just said, screw that. And they give us a card with no story. I mean, he doesn't show up in the War of the Spark stories that we ignore anyway. He's on a card where he, the, the, the flavor text is basically, you know, like while the fighting is going on, we loot. And they call him a kingpin, but is a kingpin ever going to be like hands-on in the street looting the jewelry store? During, yeah. So I don't know what your thoughts are if you've had that with with anything about Ravnica and that being primed for a revolution. Because I think there's a lot of analogies for America and maybe some other countries in there. So one of the major issues, I think, when it comes to talking about having a revolution within a pre-established world within a product like magic is that a lot of these worlds are profitable and are interesting from the player base's perspective uh, partially because of the uh, structures in which they live in at the moment but also about questioning those structures and the moment that you provide an answer to those structures which would be a revolution the resolution to those structures the as you say sort of like overthrow of the guild society within ravnica or even you know the overthrow of the consulate in kaladesh or the overthrow of the uh throne in uh fiora stuff like that the moment you provide an answer to the player base suddenly you're banking on this new society in which you have built is going to be as profitable and as interesting as the one you built previous and one of the major issues is that people are interested in societies based on the conflicts within them. The conflict between, for example, the Guildless Movement and the Guilds, or even the Grawl and the Guilds, or even Krenko and the Guilds, is a selling point for Ravnica. And the moment that that question is answered, either, as Marx would say, in uh, the revolutionary class overthrowing the previous ruling order, or the common ruin of both classes, the moment that that's answered, you've got to kind of bank on the fact that whatever world comes afterwards is going to also have the sort of conflicts that people want to see um, and want to come into like, uh, get involved in the story for. Um, so I think that whilst there's lots of priming for revolution, and even we can see this in Kaladesh where there was a quote-unquote revolution, the world that came after that wasn't particularly different to the one that came before. You know, the bad people were taken away, the really, really bad aspects of the world were sort of swept under the rug, and we have a slightly different way of governing the world, but the world itself hasn't faced any fundamental changes so that we can have the world sort of uh, marched out again in three or four years' time because we know that this world of Kaladesh works. Um, the only times that we can see sort of a massive shift in a world happen within magic are things uh, which... Uh, where, where we have popular worlds being taken over by other popular worlds, you know, Mirrodin to Phyrexia, for example, um, where we've, we can already, well, we, uh, you know, Magic can already bank on Phyrexia is popular. People want to see Phyrexia do Phyrexian things, and so we are going to uh, showcase Phyrexia taking over this other popular world, but also leave that hint that popular world A can still come back. Um, the only times, in fact, we see uh, a society massively shift is when the world was kind of unpopular before, Kamigawa, for example. Um, and even then, we don't see uh, the revolution happening. We just see sort of the, the march of time. And presumably, we transition from 
you know, uh, sort of uh, feudal Japan to modern Japan um, through uh, just sort of like uh, behind the scenes, uh, off camera, as it were. Uh, so it, enough time passing that you 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 don't necessarily have to tie it to that previous Kamigawa, right? You can make some nods back to it, but you don't have to. You you can get rid of problematic elements or things you didn't like, and you're probably going to be okay. And one example that that where there actually was a big shift, and and I think they realized after the fact that maybe that didn't work so well was uh, Tarkir, um, the. Uh, Mark Rosewater, the you know the head designer of of Magic, has even said that they one of their the biggest mistakes with that set was they started with the clans who were popular, and then they did the whole time travel Marty McFly story with Sarkin, and then ended up with the dragon tr- clans that were less popular, or less interesting at least, because they're two color allies, and there's like there's two color ally stuff everywhere. What was interesting were these three color wedges that we don't have anymore. We erased them in the lore, and it's like. That kind of didn't work as well for us to market these things later. And see, that's that's the interesting thing as well because in Dragon Subtalk here, you have you do have specifically within um, the oh god, is it Dromoka is no Dromoka's the Grohl one, right? Dromoka's green white, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Sulungar. Sorry, you've got like within the Sulungar dynasty, you have that hint of a potential switching of power with uh, Sidisi uh, brewing. Mm-hmm. That's like big old piss of poison in her heart to then use against Salungar. Mm-hmm. But the issue the issue in of uh, in there is that wizards were kind of banking on Dragons of Tarkir being a popular world that people would be excited to go back to. And now that it's not necessarily, suddenly it's like, well, we have this potential for uh, a sort of like, wouldn't necessarily be a revolution, but certainly would be a coup that could be an interesting narrative, but we need people to be excited about the original world. So again, it's that sort of like, it's it's uh, it's a very difficult way to uh, create narratives where you need to hook people into an engaging world in the first place, and also have the world that will come after that. That if, you know, if we're talking revolution, is structurally, uh, and, and we're talking sort of from my perspective, revolution in sort of like the Marxist sense. You know, the uh, smashing of state power, the building of something completely new, that kind of stuff. And you'd have to bank on both worlds being. Not one being very, very uh, engaging and one being even more engaging, which obviously, as you said, they tried with Dragons of Tarkir and they com- they completely fumbled the bag on it. Mm-hmm. And I think for Ravnica, the hard part for me is this is a world that we've now been to more than anything besides Dominaria, basically. And so to me, the, 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 the kind of tension that we keep getting is these guilds and the structure. And to me, they... You know, I feel that, as you're saying, like, I don't know what would have come after if we had followed along that storyline to finish up the set. And and, and it's that danger, right? And I understand from a business perspective. The hard part for me is we have basically planeswalkers just that just dropped in and and potentially destroyed the city state, right? Like, there's got to be a ton of damage. Like, if we're going back to Ravnica, there's got to be a ton of damage that happened during the war. Um, Oh, sorry, you go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, we still have this kind of tension now with a destroyed world so it does look different than what we had before it's just to me it was the shift of the focus on ravnica um and i know this is part of magic storytelling and and what the direction has been to the planeswalkers versus the citizens of ravnica when when we went there the first two times even though the second time we did have planeswalkers it it just felt like there was much more of an emphasis on the citizen citizenry and that being that city-state world that is you know very very european very kind of meant to be in that and so 
we were set up for this and then we shipped the story to a planeswalker base that just destroys everything yet without that tension that we had built being i there. i fully agree and this is something i actually talk about in uh, i'm working on a video about lawin right now which uh we're currently clocking in at a cool one and a half hours of recorded audio <laughs> um and that's that's not even that's not including any of the quotes or interviews that i'm planning on running for it so uh jesus christ i would um, say an hour and a half recording does that mean you have like 15 minutes of usable footage hopefully or no <laughs> no that's that's already edited. Um, okay, that's, great. That's, the goofs are gone. The goofs are not in. Well, there are some goofs in them, obviously. Um, well, some fans and fans. But yeah, good um, goofs that worked out. Okay, good goofs, of course. The bad goofs are gone. Um, but sorry. Uh, so, like, this is one thing that I talk about. Um, uh, which the the issue with Planeswalker stories, as you've quite rightly identified, is that you have these characters that get parachuted into worlds, and those worlds act pretty much as a backdrop for a more important narrative that's going on as opposed to being explored thoroughly and so you have all of these narratives which are exclusively focused around planeswalkers but at the same time as that which i would argue is a negative obviously you can tell cool planeswalker stories you know i'm still interested to find out who the bloody hell the raven man is uh, i swear that the moment that that's actually revealed i might be then fully clocked out of magic law because that's kind of the last thing i care about right now <laughs> I, I just need to know who it is and then i can then i can stop um okay anyway. uh, <laughs> i'm gonna just give a strong warning as i have to everybody lately do not go look at the preview for the magic art book dropping in december do not click on the images of the previews Oh, okay. I shall. I will not ask why, and I will. Um, I will hold my tongue and hold my interest. Yes, um, hold but, your interest, but do not go. I will uh, just say that. Cheers. Um, but like the second, the second thing about that is that by virtue of focusing exclusively on planeswalker stories, who have a multiversal implication, whose stakes are so astronomically high that entire multiple planes of existence are under threat suddenly if you try and tell any of these small scale stories it's very difficult to care about them because what like why does it matter that one of the for example um kingpins on nukapenna got murdered when there's an entire phyrexian multiversal invasion that's sort of on on the doors yeah this was even explained about today with mark rosewater state uh so there's the day we're recording this mark rosewater put out a state of design and one of the things that was talked about was with nukapenna like People are saying, like, we still don't know what's going on with the angels at the end of this, right? Like, the world that we had and that was built around kind of the, the angels, are they returning or not, doesn't really get answered. And part of that is Phyrexia. Like, like there's a bigger thing we have to worry about. Which I feel that the, I feel that the Phyrexia threat has been, I think, I, I, would, I would go so far as to say it's been kind of rushed into. Um, you know, like, the first time that we had, uh, the first time that we had a sort of Phyrexian crater revealed on another plane and suddenly like, oh, wait a minute, that they, they can uh, planeswalk now somehow. What's going on here? Like that was in Kaladesh, which only recently stopped being standard legal if memory serves. Oh, and no, no, now no, no, Kaladesh. Um sorry, uh, uh, Kaldheim. 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 Kaldheim, Kaldheim, yeah. yes. But we like, had it with the and it was like there and gone. Yeah. It was there it was there and gone. It was like but uh, when that came out I was like, oh, so this is like like one of the bookends to say like, and this is what the narrative for the next like couple of years is going to be. And now like less than a year later, we've seen three out of the four praetors. Um, uh, we, I think, hang on, I'm just going to quickly check something that 
uh, if this is on Scryfall or if I have um, yeah, been... And while you check that real quick, we're just going to throw in, you know, this has been something the cast has talked about. I think, Alex, you could greatly agree, um, not only with the rushing, which, which we talked about, but the nature of those stories taking away from the planes and, and how that affects you, you in particular. So while Spike, I want to throw that back in again, because it's something we haven't mentioned in a while. Yeah, and well, and for me, it's it's a little bit of, of a different thing. Like the the particular, I'll just say the particular storyline, particularly, let's say, re uh, regarding like Cameo, that is a that is a storyline that I have a visceral revulsion to, like that type of story. So to the point where the last couple of months, I have actively muted a ridiculously large list of magic terms on Twitter because I need to basically remove myself from that sphere. I I do a Vorthos podcast and I'm pulling myself out of the story because we're 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 gonna we're the Melthos. We need to update. We're a Melthos cast. Yeah, so because I just, I cannot engage with that type of story. And I, I it's, it's a reaction I'm still trying to work through of, of where exactly it is. But it, I just have such a bad reaction to it, which I want to, I want to be specific about because I'm not necessarily going to say that that makes it a bad storyline for Wizards to be doing. I will say it is a storyline I cannot engage with, and they are using it so effectively that I need to disengage from this. I'm of two minds, and if we talk about Tamiyo, it is because there are elements they've set up, like her being a mother to this Tanashi. The things that kind of then, like, try to tug at your strings that I also think are bad when we have, like, representation of a mom in magic and a play Yes, there's some representation issues there as well, where where for for a while... I think because the way they were setting the planeswalkers up, it was supposed to be these are the people. These these are our you know Marvel superheroes. These are the people whose stories we follow from plane to plane. So a lot of them were sort of the younger ish you know m- people who are just out doing things. And then when they started to look, oh, we should represent everyone in this, which they've been doing a better job with. But then you have like like Hobbs points out, you have this you know caring mother who now has all of that perverted into the serving of Phyrexia. You have things like that, which are kind of problem can be problematic potentially as well. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think that like, if some, if there's a, a narrative trend that you just fully don't want to engage with, that's yeah, completely fair and legitimate. Um, I think like the, uh, uh, the thing that I was looking up as well, just on Scryfall, just on this sort of topic of it sort of being rushed. And I think that's sort of, Links back into um, like Tamio, we knew that she was motherly in running, you know, the storybook circle, but like actually being viewed as a mother was introduced in the same set, at least from mm. my perspective, introduced in the same set as, you know, that was all, as you said, sort of like perverting into um, uh, supporting and uh, building Phyrexia. Um, but on the topic of things being rushed, like uh, we've seen three of the um, five Phyrexian praetors at this point. And in the flavor text of Shiv and Devastator, which was previewed not too long ago, I'll just read it out. There were many reasons why Shiv was not high on Sheldred's list of places to conquer, big, fiery reasons. So so we're almost certainly going to see Sheldred in Dominaria United. And how, like, when did Kaldheim come out? Um, like, Back a year ago. 20... It was really <laughs> Time has no meaning well, for I, me. So I know, I know it because I had to ask Card Kingdom to redirect my 
Keldheim stuff to my parents' place because okay. that, I broke my leg and was staying with my parents for a little Fair. while. Fair. So you have well, a better you you have yeah. like I have to use my kids as, as time so, points. That had been February twenty twenty one. So yeah, a year and a half. Yeah, we've yeah. had a year and a half of this. We've had a year and a half building up to this. And if we consider, for example, how the entire Gatewatch saga and the entire sort of like Nicole Bolas is doing something, we don't know what yet, but he is doing something, was started back in Alara and culminated in War of the Spark. Yeah. Unless, unless there's going to be like six years of like build up to the eventual like big Phyrexian X Planeswalker War, this this arc is going to be concluded in like the next eight months. And, and yeah. it leaves very little room for, for things like goblins or, you know, I mean, it, mm. because we have one goblin planeswalker, really. We have we the ready. Uh, we have the secret goblin planeswalker in Squee um, <laughs> that we can mention. Uh, so if you, if you, if you're not new, if you're new to the show, um, I have some children's art in my, my room done by Tappy Toe Claws by, um, she just does amazing work. Um, she did two pieces for me, one for each kid. And the first one was based off of fanfic from the show, which is, uh, the Squee Nicol Bolas buddy cop movie where basically Squee has info that Bolas needs, but Bolas hates him and he's really annoying because it's Squee and he keeps trying to kill him. And he keeps coming back and Squee's like got the biggest smile on his face because he's just excited. So they're in the style of Calvin and Hobbes in a time machine box um, Aww, traveling to- together. And Squee's got a giant smile and Bolas is just like, why won't this thing die? Uh, so what we did is when Bolas got sent to the prison realm, I have the fanfic of Squee sparking and then like ending up in the, the meditation slash prison realm and Bolas being like, whoa, wait a second. Like what's going on? And trying to figure out if there's a way to leave now that he has somebody else there with him. Um, and Squee just wants a buddy. Like, that's all he wants is a friend. See, so. that, that's bloody delightful. I think, that, <laughs> I think that ought to be the arc of Bolas going forward. I 100% uh, condone this. But, I mean, it, it does leave less room if we're, we, you know, it is the Planeswalkers. And and the Phyrexians now, right? Like, it's the... it's whatever you want to call it, Civil War, Endgame, it's that version of something that we go, went from War of the Spark to this in, like, just see it breakneck speed. I'm I'm curious. I, I will have no way to know, and maybe time will tell, but maybe not. But I'm curious because, I don't know, two, three years ago, I was kind of doing a little looking at the sort of storyline of magic and, and, and how they have changed – how how their storytelling has changed over the, over the years. And you look back to, you mentioned uh, a lot of their spice. If you go back to just before that, so, or it's, it's three sets in a row, like right when they kind of trans where they were transitioning from, let's just do a few random sets. So we go to Ravnia for the first time. We go to Kamigawa for the first time. We go to yeah. Mirrodin for the first time. Yeah. They, they do three blocks in a row that introduce three threats. Those were Bolas and Alara the Phyrexians in uh, when they went back to Mirrodin, and then the uh, Eldrazi in Zendikar. We've dealt with two of those three, and I wonder if they're trying to just wrap that up so that they can do other things with the story with some of the other stuff that they've been building in the last few years. Because we've started to see, you know, Eldraine. We've started to see some of these other worlds that are, kind of going back to that let's build kind of big and small let's have some of these overarching stories but let's have some of these smaller time stories and i wonder if they're trying to build into some other things and it's like well the phyrexians are just still here we haven't 
done anything with them. I think that's a very, I think that's a very interesting um, uh, observation. Actually, I, I think that it may feel. I mean, I don't know what the uh, like. You know, fundamentally, it's about profit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. not about it's not about telling a good story. It's about what sells boxes of cards. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I mean, may, maybe that's a, maybe that's just my particular outlook on things. But um, I think that it would be interesting to see whether or not it's rushed because they want to tell, as you say, different stories. Which I would be actually now. Now you're talking about that. Like actually, if that's the you know the, the if the cost of getting back to a kind of uh, storytelling of magic where the world is the focus and if there are planeswalkers they are elements within it as opposed to big distractions from it if the cost of that is rushing you know this big Phyrexian arc I would frankly be quite chill with that however if the rushing of the big Phyrexian arc is just so that like people can get excited for a big Phyrexian uh, set and mm-hmm. then buy lots of Phyrexian sets and stuff like that uh, then that's obviously a far less um, ideal uh, motive and also outcome because after that it's I, I mean like the uh, like the Eldrazi can come back. Nicole Bolas isn't fully dead. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It, we're, we're, we're comic book continuities now, right? Like there's always possibilities. We've got the sort of Sinister Six of um, uh, what you call it, uh, Oko and. Uh, Luca and all these sort of individual evil planeswalkers that have uh, will inevitably become interconnected in some sort of way. I have to laugh because uh, one of the things that we got to mention to you was to say to remind you that Luca isn't really a good guy, no matter what your fanfic version of is of uh, of of Luca. Listen, listen, I, I do not blow my own trumpet lightly. I think I'm I engage in self criticism on every single facet of my being, be it artistic, <laughs> be it philosophical, be it material. I wrote a bloody good story there. And it was better. It was better than Django Rexler's whole novel. I will maintain that. I'm sorry, Django. I really enjoyed your prequel to the War of the Spark stuff. I thought that was great. You were working amazingly with what you had to work with. But my version of Luca was so much better. Like he could have still been evil after that. But like, See, I, I love it. It's just I'm glad we get there naturally. We we have we have mentioned Luca on the show, but it was to talk about him in the sense of toxic masculinity. So, oh, oh, I like that as a conversation starter. Yeah. So, so I just think it's funny that we got kind of back there, and I think that as Alex is saying, if we could get that from the story, it could be great. And as Spice is saying. Business wise, that might be the more likely thing, but well, I can I can be hopeful sometimes. I appreciate it. I appreciate the hope, but I mean, I think this is where we get to with you know my frustration, and I think it comes more from cards and just how things are represented. Where we just like it just keeps bringing me back to Ravnica, and that's where it just does because it just it felt like a powder keg, but not for the reasons that we ended up with and. Once again, my fanfic of Cranko is Cranko was like this. The art is so different. And this is where it comes back to the Jewish stereotype that I think I, I frustrate with is that his first art is very much this lean mean. I mean, he, he is a mob boss, but he is a knife in hand, just killed a shatter gang. Yeah. My, brother. Guy, my guy is aerodynamic as hell in that first picture. Look at him yeah. go. Right. So and, and I understand that okay, we're making him a kingpin, but we took away so much of what made it in just that card because we get zero story. We know nothing about characters that we love. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like the so like obviously like the there was that arc obviously of him you know being able to like draw blood from Gideon, which is infinitely hilarious. Um, but like like that puts him at the same power level as him, Obnixilus, and uh, Nicole Bolas. Those are the highest power level. There we uh, go. <laughs> in the whole of magic. Our Omega level uh, people in oh, magic. Yeah, and one like of them is not a planeswalker because he no, hasn't sparked yet. He was um, supposed to spark and go to New Capenna, but that's a whole nother discussion. Oh, I'd love to have that discussion. Um, but like, it's it's the like the flavor, even the flavor text alone on Krenko. He displays a perverse charisma fueled by avarice, highly dangerous. Recommends civil sanctions from a notorious hussar. That sort of that perverse charisma. That's that's the only thing that we really have at the moment. Obviously, you know, motivation is avarice, but he's using that in some capacity to get people on side. It's as you said, like it's hinting at a building of something. And then we jump to Krenko, like Tim. Tin Street Kingpin, after the people flee, but before the enemy arrives, that's grabbing time. That's not that's not charisma. That's just that's just goon behavior, you know. Yeah, yeah. And his de depiction in that artwork is very much a shift. Like, right? Like we see him as now, you know, it's almost like they're trying to make him Kingpin as in Kingpin. I mean, and, and that's fine. Kingpin is a role, but we see a complete change in his body structure. And everything that we had known about him previously, they, so, they are un, they are fully unrecognizable. If you can, if you were to like take the take the name off and put the two pieces of art together, like crown's gone, the coloration on the nose and the ears is gone, uh, and the lips as well is gone. The costume is completely different. Yeah, yeah. no, fully. Yeah. yeah, and so it's just you know I, th I think it's one of those things that's hard to balance on these worlds and. Like I said, I think it's just, I want to see it. I think this is a selfish thing. I wanted to see it. Um, I wanted to see it rise up. I wanted to see, we've had a lot, Ravnica has been a, a good topic for us um, on the show quite a bit because of the guild structure, because of discussing what the guildless mean or, you know, like what it means to not be a guild member versus be one. And, and, and frankly, I'm sorry to cut you off, Hubs, but even if they didn't want to tell that story, you could have framed this card with Cranko differently to set that up for the future rather than kind of scale him back to now he's just a, a street-level thug. That's what it yeah, looks like. I think, yeah, that's one of the other issues with Ravnica at the moment. And I think, weirdly, if you compare all three sets of Ravnica, I think it, like, put them next to one another, you can see to the detriment how the introduction of Planeswalkers has affected the narrative of all of the, of all of the sets. Mm -hmm. The first one, obviously, no Planeswalkers there whatsoever, and you had this, like, very complicated uh sort of uh like film noir-esque um uh you know uh, cop uh, down on his luck cop with um you know addiction issues and like a ghost buddy cop almost <laughs> duo type thing working on some grand conspiracy that goes all the way to the top and then the second time we were to obviously return to Ravnica planeswalkers are there and they're doing things obviously and there is a like a link back to sort of a larger uh, narrative but it's very much secondary to the machinations of the guilds what's an admizard up to what is the dragon's maze stuff like that and then we get to like obviously uh guilds of ravnica um uh, ravnica allegiance i think those were the two names of it wasn't it the two sets before I Waterstar? think so yeah, yeah. And, like yeah. the 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 entire narrative of those two sets is wait for a war of the spark <laughs> and that's it. And it's and also I wanna I wanna just point out, can writers please stop using the term war when you mean battle? Because like it's not a, it's not a war, but it only takes place in a single city block. Yeah. Is it? It's yeah. 
Infinity yeah. War was like a punch up on three different planets between 12 people and there was a large battle in Wakanda and that's that's it. It went on for like maybe a weekend. Like <laughs> was, was a bigger. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I that's that's a whole thing like the the fact that like war war of the spark quote unquote war of the spark pretty much existed exclusively in that hey, you know, obviously the heart of Ravnica, but Ravnica is an ecumenopolis. It's a city-wide plane, and all of the conflict was concentrated in the 10th precinct. The only time the conflict extended past that was when um, Nicole Bolas punched, um, uh, what do you call it, punched Ugin so hard he flew across the entire plane. That, that's the only time that the war extended beyond that city block, you know? So anyway, but that's just a personal critique of the the usage of war and again obviously the two analogues between war of the spark and infinity war are like it's so easy to see so i i want to kind of get us to you know we've talked a lot kind of about i think just these the storytelling devices and especially as we've seen the role that goblins play within this and, and on, on a lot of different planes and as you mentioned before one of the things we talked about was the, the different versions of goblins across the multiverse so one of the other elements that we talked about a little bit before when you mentioned motivation uh we have kind of the situation where we have goblins that really either are lacking good story. I think, Alex, that was your main statement at the beginning, the answer to the question. Or my personal one, being ceremoniously killed, unceremoniously killed off screen, which is slow bad. So basically, when we dropped back into the, you know, when we were dropped back into Meriden, we basically just like had slow bad with, um, oh gosh, brains going, Glissa and, yep. and, uh, our buddy, so he like he's, he's just been with Karn. We have them. We have Bosch. They had just like stopped this. Squee sparked for. I mean, sorry. <laughs> so bad. Uh, it's just it's such kind a part of, of my fanfic. world. Kind of not fanfic. <laughs> Slow bad did actually have this weird kind of like sparking element where we've talked. He was the first goblin we did two parts on where we talked about friendship um, being kind of this thing where he chooses to give up that, and then. The, the the aftermath of that is he gets like trampled, yeah, and just dies. He just gets killed, right? And not even like we don't even have it. Like we have now Glissa being two colors. She's seen as a traitor. We talked about maybe it's almost like Slobad got fridged in the sense that you know that that was the telling device. But we had a goblin that was intelligent, that was like potential this weird spark thing going on, and then we just lose it be killed off screen and i don't know if it's for the sake of story or not but this is something that we've seen with goblins we get squee as a card in dominaria and yet we have the weather light back and they don't have the original crew member you know we get like the comic relief of Slimefoot or this kind of the cutesiness of Slimefoot, but we lose squee completely we have a we have a weather light with with like descendants of captains and everything else going on and other people who have been there forever and the literal like amazing shot person who we know is he has his own superpower of luck who gets a card because they want to make a nod to it and get nothing right they just nothing flavor text I mean, it's just like nothing no absolutely i think the um i mean like i and this is like an additional thing of um uh, broadly i think that the the one thing i certainly want to see a lot less of in um, popular media, especially at the moment, you can see it in, you know, Marvel, you can see it in Star Wars, you can see it in Magic. It's like, 
sometimes the descendants of important people don't need to be as important as those important people. It's it's really tired to see, oh, and this was the granddaughter of so-and-so, and oh, this is the great niece of yada yada, and ah, excellent, you're mm -hmm. the 14th cousin twice removed, but you've got an eighth of the power of this, da, da, da. It's, yeah. it's dull. I, I mean, I like Slimefoot, and I like the fact that there are a lot of uh, brand new characters of Arvid Cold or whatever his name was, the, the half vampire, which was kind of obviously like a, um, uh, was it, was it Krovax who became the vampire in the original? Yes. Uh, yes, it was Krovax. Like, that's sort of like allegory of Krovax, but very much not in any way actually related to Krovax and stuff like that. You had the, um, angel, uh, engineer. That stuff's great, but like seeing, Oh, you're the descendant of Sisse. Oh, you're the descendant of Jared Caption. Oh, you're yada yada yada. Like that stuff is just dull, um, and that's a certain that's a trend in media that I certainly want to I, I want to see gone. Yeah, so, I can be sorry. Uh, no, just, just real quick. I completely can be on board with that. We talked a little bit about it with with Jay when he was on here because um, mm. I think it's a personal one. To me, it was Squee was kind of such a not get the credit that Squee is due in the beginning. We have him voted the most popular goblin. So when Morrow did like a breakdown, we have, the, it, I understand it, right? Like, well, he's not a descendant. He's there. I mean, oh, yeah. the, sorry, I, sorry, my brain, thing. I just went back to that. I was thinking of the descendant piece. But I mean, like, we don't need people to necessarily pop up that were there before. But I think Squee was the miss if we are going to have people pop up. Yeah. Yeah, if you're getting like if you're gonna have you know immortal people hanging around, might as well you know might as well use them whilst they're there. You know. Yeah, um, I mean, if you're getting your quote unquote getting the band back together, he's the only like person who is an extended member of the. I, I, I remember, like Joyer was part of it for for some amount of time, but like Squeeze, the only person who was on that ship through the entire invasion, precisely, and yeah. is still alive. I want to get we, the band we, back we, together. Uh, Most of the band is dead, but we do have the roadie, so we yeah. can at least bring at least bring him along. Right, and and I think too, for me too, it's it was an interesting exploration of space of immortality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that we've seen, that we haven't seen. You have somebody that isn't a planeswalker, according to whatever canon, and yet is immortal, which, you know... According <laughs> to the text of the narrative, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so it's just, it's an interesting thing, and I think that, I think it is just seeing kind of sometimes, I don't know, obviously I'm biased, but just goblins being used, as you were saying, with as comic relief, or we're going to get into this more in the next one, the more positive elements of the communal nature, but it still is story-wise. I don't know if it's hard. I don't know. It's kind of just thinking, do they not know what to do with characters that are supposed to be goblins or that are goblins? Um, you know, Doretti, we still are, are lacking for a good, strong narrative. Um, I yeah. Mean, Doretti, Doretti is an interesting one as well, because of all of, all of the planeswalkers who weren't in... War of the Spark, who didn't, for whatever reason, weren't sort of summoned toward the Spark. They all have a reasonable excuse for why. Obviously, you know, the Kenriths hadn't actually had their Spark ignite at that moment. Like, not lots of people don't know if they don't pay attention to the narrative, but Battle Bond was actually set in the future. So yes, it's the first set that they were printed in, but that was a that was like a glimpse into the future. Eldraine was sort of like the now where they actually had their Spark ignite. So that's the reason why they weren't in War of the Spark. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, What's his name? Garrick. There we go. Garrick wasn't there because like the chain veil was completely messing up his like planeswalker uh, aptitude and was like um, 
effectively uh, encouraging him to hunt planeswalkers more than that sort of like pull was sort of uh, bringing him back to Ravnica. Ogre hadn't been introduced, yada, yada, yada. Um, Duretti just just wasn't there. <laughs> Duretti mm-hmm. was like yeah. uh, evidently just, I don't know, in a box. Um, like he, he had a nap. For the um, for the six hours that, uh, the <laughs> for the actual, he he thought it was going to be an actual war, so he was getting ready. And by the time you know, <laughs> he, was, he was summoning his own platoon. And by the time he'd gotten around to like the first twenty people, it's like, oh, it was over last week. Yeah, oh, like, right. Oh, that, hmm. Hmm. and we're calling it a war. Okay. <laughs> see, now I just want to see Duretti show up to Ravnica late and then run into Mizix, and I want to prove that storyline, like those. Two oh. just, like, just like a cog, a cog work like a uh, tank, and he turns up ready for the war that he's been building for the last like couple of months, and it's like, no, this is it's so old news. We've like taken apart the the statue that the sort of invaders put up. Like, we, I mean, that came down within the first hour, and it was gone within the first day. <laughs> we had a celebration so they could go bury their dead on a different world. Literally, um, yeah. it's wild. <laughs> I mean, even even if you look at like. Uh, and you know this, you know this is very nitpicky. But even if you look at like the um, the art of War of the Spark, you've got stuff happening in like the early morning. Um, I think so. Sort of, like uh, you've got you know you've got like Ravnica at War. Like the uh, the art of that certainly evokes like you know it's happening at like two a.m. or something like that. Someone's just woken up. They've heard a big shout. They, sorry, heard a big explosion. They've got kind of like their dressing gown on. They're looking out over a parapet and they're seeing you know this horrifying sight early in the morning and then plain white celebration obviously takes place in like the late afternoon (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm just i'm just saying like there's not much in the way of like uh uh, creating this illusion of uh, a large scale conflict we needed to move on we had to right exactly yeah yeah. (laughs) and that's our show for today you can find both of the hosts on twitter hobbs can be found at hobbs q and alex can be found at mel underscore chronicler Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email us at goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, to our link tree on our Twitter account and list it in our show notes. This has everything from our discounts for the Grinding Coffee Company to our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vindergotten, who can be found at vindergotten at badcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs> <laughs>